talk show for talkers here on irishtalkers.com. You can find us on the interweb as irishtalkers.com. We have a website. We publish all our episodes on that website, so feel free to go and have a look and browse through it. My name is Moira O'Brien, and I'm joined this week by Mr. Paul Omani. Paul, say hello. Welcome, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. And Mr. James Finnegan. James. Good evening. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all well. You nearly caught yourself saying good evening, didn't you? <laughs> good afternoon, good morning, good evening. We don't know where you are in the world and how you're listening. <laughs> this is the first of our new format podcasts, which I hope you're going to enjoy. You can, of course, get in touch with us and tell us how much you loved it, or if you think that uh, we could be doing a little bit better. You can send us an email to info at irishtalkers.com, or you could leave a message on our Facebook page, The Talk Show for Talkers. And we do love to hear from you. Let me now hand over to Paul Amani, who's going to tell us what's happening currently in Toastmasters. Paul. Learning, learning. That's what's happening in Toastmasters at the moment. Of course, you might actually have the point of view that learning takes place at every single club meeting. However, this is what is known fairly widely among club officers and also among district officers as the period during which club officer training takes place. Let me declare an interest first. I'm going to talk about club officer training and I'm going to talk about district officer training. And then I'm going to talk about a third OT because club officer training is COT, district officer training is DOT. And I also want to say a couple of words about MOT and we'll come to that. And for the listeners in the UK, can I tell you when I talk about the MOT, I'm not talking about the annual uh, inspection of your motor car. So to crack on with training for club officers, this has uh, been held all over the world in the period between, well, twice a year. And generally speaking, uh, officers are invited to go to training for three hours, three and a half hours. I've seen places where club officer training has only happened for two hours. And I've seen places where there's training on offer for five hours. But the key thing is what learning is on offer. And often the learning program is set out by the people who organize the training and the training sessions are run substantially as lectures given to the club officers by people who are experienced. I remember being very taken aback in 2016 when I first became a club officer to discover when I went to the training that there was very little participation. I remember a little bit of participation in what was a breakout room, but for most of the rest of the time, it was a presentation by somebody from a stage. This has continued in my experience that the training that is given is substantially presentations followed by a short bit of question and answers. That to me, I have always felt is unfortunate because 
there is very little opportunity for anyone to find out what have the club officers learned. There's very little assessment of learning before people leave. And there's a fairly weak process of determining the value of the training. In other words, evaluation. I am one of these people who have had a job for over 20, 30 years, training trainers and designing training and running training. And I do think that a lot more can be done to develop the ability of trainers to facilitate participative learning. I hope that the officers are going to go to training, let's say during the month of February, will participate, meaning will talk, meaning will, if it's online, put things in the chat, will ask questions, will make comments. And particularly, I hope that they will be invited to do that, invited to participate, because I've never met anybody who has said to me, oh, dear, it was terrible. I was actually asked to say something. Couldn't couldn't uh, abide having to do something during the training. Uh, so there we are. Now, district officer training is coming up. District officer training is a whole day starting at registration at half past nine and not finishing until about half past four. And I'm going to it live on this coming Saturday. I'd like to be able to report back after it's happened because there are about 10 topics ranging from finance to pathways to how to run speech contests I won't list them all, but there's a whole lot of them. There's a 15-minute session coming up on Saturday, which I'm looking forward to, on growing the number of members we have and growing clubs, which is indeed the first half of our district mission and the mission of every district in Toastmasters International. Hopefully... There will be extensive participation during the learning sessions that will take place on Saturday. By the time you listen to this, the session will be over. So we might have a report back coming in a future episode. Now, the last thing, the MOT. I'll flag this up because this is meant to be and can be run as a highly participative thing in your Toastmasters Club. It's when all the members in the club conversation and be involved in discussions and recommendations about what can be improved in the club. It's called moments of truth, a term that comes from the airline industry originally. And a man called Jan Carlson, who SAS, a Scandinavian airline, he wrote a whole book on it. And it basically is the customer's journey from the time they first get in touch with an organization. So what Moments of Truth does is gives all the members in the club an opportunity to let us say, think about how can we improve the experience that a potential member gets when they get in touch with this club? It may be that people get in touch with the club at the very beginning in a word of mouth chat with somebody. That is actually the first contact with the club. 
but it can go all the way through till somebody walks through the door and settles down in the club. So there we have, I'm just mentioning three things, club officer training, district officer training, and moments of truth, all of which are going on during this period of Toastmasters. And I hope that you will find one of those three particularly useful to you in the rest of this Toastmasters year and for your career outside Toastmasters. So with that, I'd like to say I finished. A very good point you made there, Paul. Training does have relevance to what we do outside of Toastmasters. I think a lot of people forget that, especially when we're talking about things like evaluation, not to mention, of course, just making speeches in front of your colleagues. Thank you for dealing with that part of the episode, Paul. Let's now move on to uh, the second part of our show today, which is our word of the week. Paul, what have you chosen as your word this week? Oh, I've got a word for James Finnegan this week. And I want to start off by asking him when he thinks it first entered into the English language. And the word is stringent, stringent. Now, stringent means rigorous, stringent means strict. To be strict on something is to be stringent. So you can actually talk about somebody who applies the rules stringently in an uncompromising way, perhaps inflexibly. But it's a handy word to use when you're describing somebody's approach. They are very stringent, severe. James, have you ever used the word stringent in the last three months? Oh, Paul, I use the word stringent every day. And that is my nature. I do like the rules. I do like the parameters. I do love that chain of command. And not only that, but my wife likes it too. And she applies it vigorously. Indeed, dare I say stringently. Do what I'm told, when I'm told to do it. Not not later, not whenever, but right now. As a former referee, I, I always admire uh, the commentators and pundits who demand a stringent interpretation of the laws of the game, as long as it works for their team. But hang, when on, it's what, other- hang on, what kind of a referee have you been? Which sport is it? Are you in curling or are you in hurling or are you in... Football. What, what, what are you kind of a referee? Are you? I was. I was a, a soccer referee. Paul, there's no way on God's green earth I would ever be a hurling referee because bad enough that you're outnumbered, but they're all armed with hurleys. And to the best of my knowledge, poor referee doesn't even have a helmet. Did you apply the offside rule stringently? I appri- applied them appropriately. Oh, you weren't stringent about the. You gave some latitude then. You, you weren't well, you see, like a, a VAR referee. Well, you see, they keep moving the rules and they keep changing the rules. And you see, you can have common sense or you can have consistency. But my common sense is not necessarily your common sense. And if you were to stringently apply the rules consistently, you would have from 11 aside, you would have it down to about five aside within a very short time of the kickoff. Well, I've got a last question, James. I want you to guess. You may know it already. When did the word stringent enter the English language? I don't know, Paul, but all I can say is that it didn't come in soon enough. 
Well, I want you to guess. Now, I used to, when Ted Melanthi was a co-host on this show, I think he got one right out of a hundred. So you're certainly in a strong tradition. So here I'm putting you on the spot and uh, you're honor bound not to look it up on Google or uh, one of the dictionaries. <laughs> Come on, give me the century. Which century did stringent enter the language? Do you know, it would appeal to my Tudor sensibilities that it came in at that time, because that was the time when measurements started to become very, very necessary and appropriate. Do you realize that we have quite an international audience? And when you're talking about the Tudor century, half of them haven't a clue what you're talking about. Give me a date. They've all heard of Henry VIII and Elizabeth I. They're all, they're all monarchists out there. I'm talking, would it be the 16, uh, 1600s? Well, I have to say you've done a lot better than our previous co-presenter. It was an 18th century, 1737 or something like that, when the word stringent was first used in the English language. So there you are. It was first and, and I'll tell you some other words that came in in 1736. Think about this. Anti-inflammatories. Wow. Fidgety. <laughs> and flying machine. There you are. There's three of them. Oh, I tell you what. I heard it on the grapevine. Grapevine came in in 1736. You see, I, uh, I was talking to one of my um, uncles who told me that had passed down through the family. In, since 1736. Well, every day is a school day, Paul. Yes. So there's <laughs> the end of the word of the week. That's the end of the word of the week. <laughs> now, tell me, you're a bit of a practiced communicator, dare I say, speech maker. Help us to learn something about speech making, please. <laughs> well, it would be very arrogant for me to presume to teach the likes of yourself and Moira about speech making. But let me, let me just point out some things that we've learned recently. Now that we've come back off the screen and into the room, we all got into bad habits, didn't we? As much as we tried not to, we were beginning to perhaps get a little bit more flexible about having notes surreptitiously scattered around the room, just out of sight. Those times when you could see someone's eyes going just like that or like that. Or even, Paul, people like yourself wearing glasses where they could turn around and say, I, of course I didn't read my speech. And yet you could read it off the reflection of their glasses. But now we've come off that Zoom and into the room. And now we're going back to the old-fashioned, traditional methodologies of memorizing our speeches and delivering them away from a lectern, out in the room. Of course, the art of speech making is very simple. It's how you say what you want to say efficiently and with clarity. So to go back to the old fashioned techniques, you tell them what you're going to tell them. You tell them and then you tell them what you've just told them. So structure, as in everything, is everything. You have a beginning, you have a middle, and you have an end. And that comes with practice and it comes with pr preparation. What is your message? And when I listen to politicians and when I listen to people delivering speeches, and as you quite rightly said, we are 
in the middle of club officer training and district officer training. And we're also in the time of the awards, the Oscars, the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, the whatever granny's having award for whatever she's having. And while you yearn for those people that can step up and just speak with passion and with commitment and with clarity, you really, really hope that someone somewhere might have just sat down and done a little bit of preparation and done a little bit of forethought. Because trust me, even those people who worked on Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein, went round at the back of the set and practiced their I would like to thank the Academy speech. Because deep down, we all want to give a speech. And even deeper down, we don't want it appearing on YouTube in a few years' time with someone coughing and spluttering and tittering and tattering and forgetting to mention their mother or the director or their co-stars. Preparation, preparation, preparation. So that's my secret for speech speeches. Prepare, practice, structure. It's worked all these years. Why would it not work now? Now, James, James, you have just uh, spoken about a very important piece of advice, which is you start off telling them what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them it. But will you now tell me, what have you just said? The third state. What, t- tell us now what, 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 you, what you've just told us briefly. Briefly. What I've just told you is this, is that the beauty of a well-crafted speech that has impact, that has content, that has getting your message across the way that you want to get it across is done by practice and by structure. Oh, superb. I love that uh, ability to remind me of what I've just heard, because that is what I'm going to take away from what you've said today. I'm going to take away words like beauty, the beauty of what you're speaking and the purpose for which you speak and practice. There's a terrible uh, uh, little phrase which I saw mentioned on the Toastmasters International official Facebook page. And I'm going to say that they all the words begin with the letter P. So let me spell it out. P-I-S-S-P-O-O-R-P-R-E-P-A-R-A-T-I-O-N. Anyway, I shan't finish the sentence. There were, I don't want to offend anybody, so I didn't want to use those first three words. But the the end of the sentence is 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 somewhat similar. So there we are. Did did, did you did, have you heard that sentence before? I have heard it in passing, which is another people. Yes, which is <laughs> perfect. And I must say, you're a perfect presenter. <laughs> Well, with James, I was I was looking for we we had some lovely triads there, but I was looking for more alliteration. I have to admit, you see, you you had passion, you had prepare, and you had practice. That was a love that could have been your alliteration, and you had content, commitment, and clarity, but not in the same triads. But I wrote down six nine things from what you gave us: passion, commitment, and clarity was the first one. Second one was. Prepare, practice, structure. And there is a bit of duplication coming up here because the third one was impact, content, 
and practice. I think, listeners, if you take into your mind those eight different statements and apply those to your speeches. And Moira, could you just repeat those while I, so I can write them down on a piece of paper, please? I will indeed. Passion, commitment, clarity, prepare, practice, and structure. And lastly, impact, content, and again, practice. And I'm sure that's not accidental that practice happened to come up twice. So PPC, PPC, PPS, PCC, PCC, PPS, ICP. Don't think you can make much of that, Paul. Oh, easy, <laughs> easy, easy. Passion, preparation, commitment. Anyway, I'll, anyway. Uh, I'll earn it. <laughs> Next week, uh, listeners, there probably will be a quiz in which uh, people will be asked, uh, what does PPC stand for? Uh, because, uh, do you know, James mentioned today, or was it yesterday, VPPR? Oh, I tell you what, I, VPM. All of these things are fine for insiders. But when we're drawing people into Toastmasters, we want to call them vice presidents. We got loads of vice presidents. <laughs> and that's a good thing. If you want to be a vice president, join Toastmasters. <laughs> On that somewhat interesting note we'll bring this episode to a close thank you all for listening glad that you stayed with us right to the end and we'll be back again next week when we will look forward to introducing you hopefully to another Toastmaster bye for now